Well, welcome to The Crossing today. Glad that you are here. And I uh, would like to welcome all those who are watching online, our microsites. Glad that you have joined us. Well, we are almost to the end of our series called Transformed. And transformation is how God changes us. That when we surrender to God's work, it's how God brings change in us. And we are looking at seven key areas of transformation. We're talking about being transformed spiritually and being transformed physically and intellectually and emotionally and relationally. Next week, we'll end with vocationally, but today we're talking about being transformed financially. A few years ago, somebody gave Darla and I a room at the Wynn, and so we went and we stayed at the Wynn, had a great time, and as we were checking out, we did what probably most of you do. We looked underneath the bed to make sure that we weren't forgetting anything, and underneath the bed was a sunglasses case, and I thought, well, this is pretty cool. I mean, because this is the win. I can imagine what kind of people, what kind of sunglasses they buy. And so I open up the sunglasses case, and there's no sunglasses in it. It is full of $100 bills. They're just rolled in there. I mean, this is like your dream come true, right? I mean, every time we go into a hotel, you check underneath the mattress just to see if somebody left some money behind. Well, I'm, I'm like, God has provided for me. It's a good day. You know, we, we only had like $100 in our checking account, and we had bills that we didn't know how we were going to pay. I'm like, God has blessed us. Darla said, what if God is testing us? I'm like, shh, just don't even say that. I don't even want to hear that. She said, after all, this money belonged to somebody. And I'm like, but this is the win. They probably forgot they even had this money. They probably had so much money, they completely forgot it. So what do you do in that situation? Well, today, I want to talk about what may be your greatest barrier to transformation. It's money. Being transformed financially. And Jesus knew this. This is why Jesus talked more about money Then he talked about heaven and hell combined. Jesus talked more about money than he did salvation. In fact, one half of all of the parables that Jesus told were about money. One out of six verses in the gospel are about money. Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about money? Here's what he knew. He just knew that we are so consumed with making it and spending it and saving it and thinking about it that he knew that this could become the greatest barrier in our life to transformation. See, I think the word that we associate most with money and finances is worry. Is worry. Are are we going to have enough to retire? Will I have enough to buy a ring? Will I ever have enough to buy a house? Will I ever have enough to buy a new car? Will I ever have enough to save some? Will I ever get ahead? Will I ever get out of debt? No matter how much money you have, at some level, we are worried about our money. And in response to our worry, do you know what we do? We spend more than we make. Now think about this connection. We worry about, am I ever going to have enough? And what we do is we go out and we spend everything we make in just a little bit more. You know, we have all of these worries, you know, am I going to be able to retire? Am I going to be able to get this house? And so we just begin to stretch it all and we spend more than we make. And as a result of that, we end up with debt. Debt on things where the value goes down and the price goes up. 
See, when you borrow on most things, as soon as you buy it, it is worth less than what you owe on it. And then consequently, we have no financial margin. And when you have no financial margin, there's something in you that you just begin to worry about your money. You worry about all the future things that you have, and it begins to overwhelm you. And so you spend more than what's coming in, and it leads to more debt. And we have no margin for future consumption, and it is this crazy cycle. Some of you are on this crazy cycle right now, and it just consumes you. This mindset right here may be what stands in the way of transformation for you. So the question, how much more income do you need to stop worrying? 10%? 20%? What if you were to work tomorrow and you got a 50% raise? See, the answer to that question, how much money do you need to stop worrying, is more than you will ever get at one time. Because what happens, as your income increases, you spend everything that you have that comes in, and more money does not equal less stress. In fact, as your income goes up, we tend to worry more because the stakes just get higher and higher and higher. I was watching 60 Minutes a a few months ago, and they were talking about the giving pledge. The giving pledge is is the pledge that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have put together where they're trying to convince billionaires around the world to pledge half of their wealth towards charity to give half of their wealth towards global needs. Now, they're talking to billionaires with a B, not millionaires. These are people who have a lot of money. And Warren Buffett said that he has a hard time convincing some billionaires to give because they're worried. They're worried about their money. He says, I've been calling people with a billion dollars or more, and they think that they cannot give up 50%. And I love what what Warren Buffett said. He goes, I'm going to write a book on how you can get by on $500 million. (laughs) See, we laugh because it sounds so ridiculous, but it's the same with us. It is the same with us. Worry and fear drive our financial decisions. And when you read the New Testament, Jesus did not say, to overcome your worry, save more money. He didn't say, to overcome your worry, get out of debt. No, those are good things to do. You should save more money. You should get out of debt. But he said the reason that you worry is because you put your trust in riches rather than in the one who richly provides. You see, more money does not create more self-control. And more money does not result in more discipline. And more money does not bring more contentment. In fact, it may be the greatest barrier, more money, may be the greatest barrier to transformation for you. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at what Jesus says about all this. But here's what we learn, is that worry is not a money problem. Worry is a spiritual problem. And the problem with worry is there is never enough money to cause it to go away. And Jesus has a word for this mindset. He calls it greed. It is, it's greed, and it has nothing to do with the size of your bank account. It has nothing to do with how many zeros you have in your bank account. Greed always leads to worry, and greed always leads to discontentment. Learning to be generous is what gets us off of this crazy cycle. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus addresses this belief that your life equals your possessions. 
See, this is a belief that people had 2,000 years ago, and this is a belief that we have right now, is that the more that you have, the better your life will be. That we have this view that our life consists of our possessions, that our life equals our possessions. Well, Jesus comes along and he says, until you change that mindset, until you change that mindset, you're going to be on this crazy cycle. But changing our thinking about money paves the way to transformation. We're going to begin in, in Luke chapter 12, in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? See, it was not uncommon for people to come to teachers in that day and to consult them about disputes or to ask them to kind of be the judge to see who was right and who was wrong. The way an inheritance was done at this period of time is that the oldest son would get a double portion. So if you're the oldest son, it's good to be the oldest son. He would get a double portion. Everybody else would split whatever was left over. And apparently this guy feels like his brother ripped him off or he's trying to get more than his fair share. He's trying to get more than really belongs to him. And Jesus, Jesus decides not to be the judge. Jesus decides to deal with the motive behind this. Jesus wants to deal with his heart because this is a heart issue. Verse 15, it says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. See, greed literally means the desire for more. Greed is not about needing what you don't have. That's not greed. Greed is the result of wanting what you do not get. And Jesus said, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Jesus will say the same thing again in a little while because right after this parable, we're getting ready to read, Jesus is going to talk about worry because he puts these two things together. He puts our, our need for money and our greed with worry. And Jesus will say the same thing, that our life does not consist of our possessions. But listen, I think if we're honest with each other, we think it does. At least that's how we live our life. Well, it goes on here in verse 16. And it says, and he told them this parable. Now, Jesus would tell parables to help um, teach them a point. These are made up stories. These did not really happen. These are stories that Jesus made up. And he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Even 2,000 years ago, the rich get richer. And here's this guy. He has this huge abundance of, of stuff. And he goes, what should I do? You know, where should I store my crops? You know, I have so much stuff. I better get another storage unit. I have so much stuff. I need to get a larger house. I have so much stuff. I need a third car garage. You know, I, I just need it all for my stuff. Then he said, verse 18, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. What did he do? Exactly what he had always done. Because the more money you make does not mean that you will change anything about your life. It does not mean all of a sudden that you will be content. In fact, as he got more, it did not make him more generous. The richer he got just made him richer. Verse 19, and he says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, 
and be merry. See, I think it's interesting because if many of us, if you had gone back 20 years and somebody told you how much money you would make today, you would think, if I made that much money, if I made that much money, I would be debt-free and I would be worry-free. And today, you make that much money and you have all of these worries and you still feel discontent. This guy says, I have enough for the rest of my life. I'm just going to coast. I finally have enough that everything is taken care of. Then in verse 20, it says, but God. Well, what, what does God have to do with his financial picture? Well, this guy is a farmer. And who controls the weather? God controls the weather. That Jesus is trying to introduce this idea that there is an eternal factor to our money. That it's about God. He says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you are prepared for yourself? Why did God call him a fool? God calls him a fool. Why did he call him a fool? He did not call him a fool because he was rich. In fact, God made him richer. God called him a fool because he assumed that his money was only for him. He assumed that his stuff guaranteed him a future. And God asked him, and I think God asked you and me the same question. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The answer is somebody else. But not because he was more generous, but because he was dead. That's why somebody else is going to get it. Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes. Solomon says you spend your whole life trying to accumulate it, and then you die, and it goes to somebody else who did not earn it, who does not know how to take care of it. Solomon says this is meaningless. And then Jesus applies this to you and me. Verse 21. He says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. He says, this is how it's going to be for anyone who stores up things for themselves is not rich towards God. God is saying that you lost everything here because you died, and then you have lost, you have nothing to show for it in the life to come. It is a total loss. So you say, what does it mean to be rich towards God? Does it mean to be rich towards God with my time? Does it mean to be rich towards God in my prayer life, that I'm in church every Sunday, that I'm serving? No, Jesus is very clear here. He is talking about financial generosity. That's what this means. And it is out of this story where Jesus is talking about greed, where it's out of this story where he's trying to help us understand this concept that Jesus goes right into talking about worry because Jesus addresses his disciples with what they are thinking. Because his disciples are thinking the same thing that we're thinking, that there's never enough. That how are we going to pay for everything? How are we going to pay for food? How are we going to pay for clothes? And then very next verse, Jesus says this to them. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, because of what's just happened, because what the story I've just told you about, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. That your life does not equal your possessions. That your life is more than the abundance of your things. And then Jesus goes on and he talks about the birds of the air. He goes, the birds of the air don't worry about if they're going to be fed. God takes care of them. He talks about the, the grass and the field, that God takes care of all of this. And then here's how Jesus concludes this thought. He says, for where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, I think we hear this and we expect Jesus to say, for where your heart is, there your treasure would be. Because we think that our money follows our heart. But it is the opposite. Wherever your money goes, there your attention is going to go as well. Think about the last time you bought a new car. When you bought that new car, you started washing it every week. You park it in the back of the parking lot because you don't want church people to put dings on your doors because they don't have a new car, but you do because you start taking care of it. Or thinking about when you bought a, a stock of a certain company. All of a sudden, you became interested in that company. You bought stock in Coca-Cola, and all of a sudden, you forbid anybody from bringing Pepsi into your house. This is a Coke house. We only care about Coke here. Don't bring anything else in here because your heart follows your money. Wherever your money goes, there's where your heart goes as well. And money may be the barrier that keeps you from transformation in your life. And there is only one way to break this crazy cycle. And it's this. is the transformation happens when we organize our life around generosity. The transformation happens when we organize our life around generosity, because life does not equal your possessions. Just because you have more, it does not satisfy. See, it doesn't matter whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. More does not satisfy. Transformation happens when we organize our lives around generosity. Now, let me give you three applications out of this parable that we just read. Here's application number one, is that it all comes from God. That it all comes from God. In this parable, this guy is a farmer. That he didn't produce the crop. God produced the crop. See, but he thought he should keep it all for himself. You see, ownership is a myth. The crazy cycle always, always leads to discontentment. And generous people, they realize that they're managers. Because it all comes from God. They realize they are just managing what God has already given them, but not owners or consumers. See, consumption always leads to discontentment and worry. But if everything comes from God, then it changes the way we view our stuff. If you begin to think that everything I have, it comes from God, it changes the way that we manage our stuff and take care of it and what we do with it. See, why would you be rich towards God if you feel like it's all yours? See, we become rich towards God when we realize that it all came from him. It all belongs to him. It's all his. Here's second application. Is that God uses money to test us. That God uses money to test us. God is testing you in all kinds of areas of your life. That he doesn't just automatically give his blessings to anybody. He tests you to first see if you're trustworthy, if you can handle it. Because if you can't handle what he's given you, he's not going to trust you with more. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16. Jesus gives another parable about money, and here's how Jesus summarizes it. He says this. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little be dishonest with much. See, this principle is true in every part of your life. This principle is true in your relationships, that if you can be trusted with little, you can be trusted with more. This is true at school. This is true in your job. That character is forged in the small things along the way when nobody's watching. That's where character is forged. 
that you are faithful with the small things, and God is paying attention. That God is paying attention. But see, Jesus uses this principle right here to talk about money. That whoever can be trusted with little, they can be trusted with more. But if you're dishonest with little, you'll be dishonest with more. See, here's the myth that we tell ourselves. When I have more money, then I'll be generous. When I have lots of money, then I'll be generous. No, you won't. You won't. Because he who is faithful with little will be faithful with more. The generosity is not an amount of money. It is a heart issue. And I believe that God is looking for people that he can entrust with his resources. Think of it like this. Here is all of God's needs. God has all of these needs here. And here is all of God's resources over here. God is looking for the people who can be the conduit, who he can trust to take all of his resources and meet all of his needs. That that you can take the resources that God provides and be this conduit to take care of the needs that God wants taken care of. God is seeing who he can trust because money, it's a test. It's a test. And then here's this third application for us is that your money has eternal consequences. Your money has eternal consequences. See, it all comes from God. Everything that you have comes from God. And money is a test. God will use it to test you. But when you begin to realize that it has eternal consequences, it changes the way you think of your money. See, Jesus calls this guy in the parable a fool, not because he was rich, but because he wasn't rich towards God. He assumed that his money was only for him. Look at what Jesus says a few verses later in that whole section on worry. Here's what Jesus says. Chapter 12, verse 33 says, Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Jesus says, invest your money in something that doesn't wear out. Invest in something that can't get stolen, that can't rust. He says that your money has eternal consequences. And this is the belief of people who are generous towards God. For people who give. See, one of the principles that we believe here at the crossing is that that we give back to God, that we tithe what we have. And there are people at this church who will tell you that the reason that they do that is they believe that their money has eternal consequences. See, we don't just want to feed a child in need. You, should we do that? Absolutely, we want to feed a child in need. But we want to feed a child in need in Jesus' name. Because one is temporary, the other is eternal. So when we become this conduit for God's resources, we're not just feeding a child, we're feeding a child in Jesus' name. We're taking care of needs in Jesus' name. Because everything we have has eternal consequences. Darla and I decided 30 years ago that we would tithe everything that we have because we believe that our money has eternal consequences. And the people of the church who believe that, if you begin to have conversations with them, They will tell you that they experience a level of financial freedom that few people have. And it's not because they're smarter. And it's not because they're more spiritual. And it's not even because they're richer. It's because God's word is true. That we just believe that our money has eternal consequences. And if you begin to look at your stuff through the lens of eternity, your story won't be about how much money you have at the end. Your story will be about how God used your money to make a difference for eternity. We're talking eternal things. See, 
This chart right here, it represents a crazy cycle. It is a crazy cycle that God wants to get you off of. That we have to, we have to begin to break that grip in our life. Well, here's the rest of the story of what happened to us at the wind. As we begin to decide what to do with the money, we finally decided we would turn it in because we felt like, okay, they can figure out who it belongs to. Don't clap. I didn't want to. (laughs) So we take it to the security office, and they look at us like we are the biggest idiots they have ever seen in their life. But here's what we felt. We just felt like if God wanted to bless us, God can bless us however he wants, that he can make that money come back to us, that he can bless us in another way. See, I know when we talk about all of this stuff, to some of you, this just sounds crazy, but I'm telling you that transformation will never happen in you until you break the grip of greed in your life, because this is a cycle. It's a cycle that leads to worry and discontentment, and God has so much more for you. God has a better life for you. Transformation happens when we organize our life around generosity. And then you'll be financially free. See, if God chooses to bless you with a bunch of added zeros, then you keep doing what you have already done because you've already resolved in your heart what you do. Because you know it all comes from God. Your life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. It is more than that. God has a bigger life for you. So let's pray together. And maybe for you, it's just beginning to be honest with God about your worry and your discontentment in life with what you have. And maybe it's just saying, God, make me content. Help me to learn to be generous. Break this grip of greed. Take this worry from me. God, thank you for being a God who provides for every need that you tell us to not worry because you will provide for everything that we need. God, help us to begin to see everything that we have through your lens, through this lens of eternity that you've entrusted us with your resources so that we can make a difference for eternity. So God, break this grip of greed in our life. God, help us to end this cycle of worry and discontentment. And to know that through you, you've given us enough. So God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. We pray this in the name of the one who gave everything his life for us.